We're recording. In LA, almost all of us who can stay home are some are, are quarantined. Six feet matters. Okay, here we go. Hey everybody, I'm Bob Christian, and welcome to Quarantine Frontiers, an ongoing series of lightning round questions discussing how life is changing in a post-quarantine world. Right now, it's day 73 in LA quarantine. So, I guess in a very LA way, we have now been in quarantine longer than Kim Kardashian's marriage to Chris Humphreys. Congratulations us, marriage is fantastic. Today, we're talking about being immune compromised in the new normal of this world, but I'm going to be honest, there's so much going on this week and right now. We're going to be talking about living right now. Uh, But first, let's introduce our guests. These are probably the two best people I know to have on this episode today. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, this is Amber. I'm in Claremont and I'm in day 83 of quarantine. I'm Erin. I'm in Glendale, California, and this is day 76 for me. All right. Welcome back to the show, Amber. We last heard from you in episode six, where we talked about what it was like living with a compromised immune system at the beginning of all of this. And welcome to the show, Aaron. We last talked to your husband back in episode five, where he compared his current quarantine to the time that you're both in lockdown during a Turkish coup. Uh, So Aaron, at that time, your husband met said that he didn't think our quarantine was quite as serious as that specific uh, Turkish coup lockdown. Well, it's been over 50 days since that conversation. Uh, Looking at this now, which do you think is the more serious situation? (laughs) That's a, I actually heard his answer to that. And I, and I kind of think it's, it's right in that that was really serious in regard, like in the fact that, you know, the military and the government is really turning against people in this really obvious ways. Obviously there's a lot of other stuff going on in the country right now that maybe has some similar feelings to that. But you really didn't know which way it was going to go. But at the same time, we always felt like, oh, well, we'll just leave. Me in particular, you know, I'm not Turkish in any way ethnically. I didn't ever get Turkish citizenship when we were living there. So I was always just like, you know, this isn't my country. If I don't like where this is going, it's not my business and I'll, I'll leave. Whereas now, it's like, where do you go? Everybody is being hit by it. Um, you don't know when there's an end in sight. I mean, people in that kind of like government situation will ultimately get fatigued and they have the power. Whereas here, you know, we're all really at the mercy of what the virus does. And, you know, I would say a general lack of imagination of, of how we're responding to it as a culture. So lack of imagination is a really interesting way to say it. <laughs> I think this is scarier. <laughs> okay. That's a really good point. Let me ask you this. Two weeks ago in an episode, I traveled during COVID. uh, We talked to Chris, who before leaving LA, he and his wife were sleeping with golf clubs under their bed. Mm -hmm. And this was before the attacks and the murders surrounding people wearing face masks in stores, the ongoing riots, the police murders, and the separate uh, stances by different arms of bureaucracy, Mm -hmm. like in Sonoma, where the uh, sheriff is just no longer enforcing COVID restrictions. Uh, So I'd love to hear from both of you about this, uh, but Aaron, we'll hear from you first. Uh, Right now, do you feel safe where you are and in your life? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I think that's a question of health or safety. And since you, what you were bringing up, I feel like more is like volatility of people. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't feel that nervous in our neighborhood. I feel like I've lived in and been in places that were more precarious. Yeah. I don't know. I don't feel unsafe. I feel all right. What about you, Amber? 
I feel safe. I mean, I'm out in the suburbs, so it's pretty quiet out here. And again, I haven't been anywhere. I still haven't physically been anywhere. So I don't know how unsafe I guess I would feel because I haven't stepped foot in a store or anything. So I think if I had, I probably might feel a little different. I'm not sure though. Okay, so the way this show works is I ask a series of lightning questions about your COVID life and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. We're going to start with some questions just about your life up to this point. Are you ready? Yeah. Yep. All right. Since restaurants are on the verge of opening back up in LA, what food have you determined to be the worst for ordering in? Well, we haven't ordered anything in, so... Oh, wow. You haven't ordered any food in throughout this entire situation? Nope. Wow. You have a very different COVID experience than I think like most people <laughs> that we've talked exactly. to. What about you, Aaron? First, I guess, are you ordering food in? Secondly, what's been the biggest disappointment? <laughs> well, we do pizza movie night like every Friday, as you know. So that has continued. We did actually do a Din Tai Fung pickup, like Mehmet went to pick it up. And they had like, it was like a window of when you could go pick it up. It was like, go pick it up at 830, which was already an hour and something after we placed the order. And then Mehmet went to get it and it took an hour and a half wait there. So it, wow. we didn't eat dinner until like 10.30. So, you know, food-wise, that place is always good, but we haven't been ordering in a lot. And after that happened, I would say even less. So since you're not ordering in that much, Aaron, what's the most adventurous thing you've, or the most ambitious thing you've tried to do in the kitchen? I'm trying to think if I've made anything complicated. I don't think I've made anything really complicated because, you know, the way that the days go... I'm working full time. So it's like I have less time to make food than I normally do. I mean, I guess the other day there's a there's an Instagram uh, profile that I follow called Vegan Bowls. So the other day I made um, basically like a broiled uh, breaded cauliflower and then like that kind of sauce, you know, like when you do like almost like buffalo cauliflower. I made that the other day. It was really good. All right. What about you, Amber? Have you gotten amb ambitious in the kitchen? My husband has more so, and it's been pizza. So we love pizza, and we typically probably would eat that, like, Aaron, every Friday or Saturday night, um, you know, pre-COVID. So he has attempted to um, make pizza pretty much every weekend. So that's been, like, a fun little hobby of, like, trying to really kind of get the dough, like, pretty close to pizza. We're getting better. Um, from the start, it was very much like a Chuck E. Cheese or roller rink pizza, but it's getting way better. So <laughs> we're continuing to work on that pretty much every weekend. That's been a fun little side thing. So we do Domino's and we also, we continue doing Domino's because they had this really clear policy on contactless delivery. So it was like, okay, you know, this guy's going to come, he's going to wear a mask. He's going to have gloves on. He's going to leave, leave it on the porch ring the doorbell, go down the steps to the sidewalk, and then we'll get, we'll have no interaction with him, right? And so that way we bring the thing in, we immediately take it out, like we take it out of that box, put it on something else, get the box out of the house, blah, blah, blah. So one day the guy just like shows up at the door and he's like not leaving. And, you know, <laughs> my husband like says something to him about it. And he's like really, and he's not wearing a mask and all this other stuff. And he's really dismissive. And so Mehmet calls the, the location, the Domino's location, is explaining this to the manager and the manager hung up on him. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's like, you know, seeing the difference maybe between like corporate policy and the attitudes of people 
um, who are actually uh, having to execute some of these changes. That's so did you guys just have to make do or did you guys just say go away or what happened? Well, you know, Manhattan doesn't have the same kind of issues that I did. So finally, Manhattan was mm -hmm. just like, fine, just like put it down. And then he took a plate, put everything on it outside and then brought uh -huh. it inside um, and then basically went and, you know, like washed himself. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, it was definitely, it was definitely like disappointing. And I'm sure we'll talk about it later, just about like other people's kind of attitudes about whether it, whether this stuff matters. I was going to ask this question later, but you kind of opened the door. So I'm going to ask it now. Um, so each of you are married to someone who is not immunosuppressed or immune compromised. Uh, are they taking way more wash off showers than they did before? <laughs> are you having them take a lot of showers every day or is it just like, when necessary when he goes somewhere um which is typically only once a week at this point to get groceries um so yeah when he comes home i'm like okay bring everything in the garage go take a shower and you know put your clothes in the washer um i would say it's similar for us um except that Mehmet, you know doing construction at least not now but earlier on in the quarantine um is essential work so he was still going to the construction site and they were doing, you know, distancing and all this other stuff. But he would come home, take the same thing, take his clothes off, straight into the washer, take a shower. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that he's taking more precautions, but it's really like when they leave the house and come back. So uh, let's pick up with you, Amber. Did you set any goals for yourself or take up any new hobbies throughout this? I did. I started a vegetable garden. So that's been my main hobby and tie dyeing because why not tie dyeing as in you've tie dyed a bunch of things a bunch of different times uh i have found everything i own in white pretty much and tie dyed it and <laughs> bought additional things in white to tie dye for myself and other people okay so i did tie dyeing as well with my daughter i we tried it a couple shirts and it's addictive i went then went back to target and bought shorts and dresses and all this kind of stuff what has been your like the most elaborate tie-dye thing you've done. For us, it was a pair of shorts, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but I was like, I wear them all the time now. So what about you? I actually did some ice dyeing last weekend. So it's there's um, a sweatshirt that I made that I've worn a few times now because I love it so much. But you guys should definitely try that ice dyeing. Ice dyeing. It's tie-dyeing, but you use ice and it looks like watercolors. It's pretty awesome. Okay, that sounds really cool. So when you tie-dye, are you a all the colors on the rainbow tie-dyer or do you come up with a color palette or what's your tie-dye approach? Yeah, I come up with a color palette and kind of um, play with whatever I'm, I want to play with, you know, in the moment of kind of what I feel goes together, but um, not so much of a unicorn uh, tie-dyer so much. And with the gardening, has anything sprouted yet? Are you literally reaping the fruits of your labor? <laughs> Everything has sprouted. Um, the only thing that I've been able to reap so far have been the strawberries and tomatoes are pretty much around the corner. Those are popping in. Um, but everything else, it's growing pretty well, but I think it's going to be probably another month or two. I just love the fact that you've sequestered yourself away from the world for over 80 <laughs> days. You've grown a garden and you're tie-dyeing. You could just fall out of time back into the 60s and be a perfect fit for like a commune. <laughs> So, and especially since you're in the suburbs of LA, you could definitely get away with this commune thing. 
I mean, I also bought a pair of Crocs, so I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, Erin, what about you? Have you set any goals for yourself or taken up any hobbies? Uh, well, I also have a garden, which I had before, but it's expanded a little bit. The tomatoes are actually coming in. We're already kind of eating those, and they're pretty good. But we also started growing some mushrooms. That was really fun, actually. It's super fast, super weird, because you literally can see them in the day, like growing almost, because where they are in the morning and where they are at the end of the day is really different. It's like seven uh -huh. to 10 day process from nothing to full blossoming mushrooms. I have started doing like an hour long early morning walk up in our neighborhood. So mm -hmm. I usually I get up at like six or six fifteen and go, I'll maybe see like eight people. Mm -hmm. and we're like nowhere near each other. So I feel pretty comfortable doing it. But that I've been doing like really consistently for at least a month. Let me ask you a follow-up question. I've talked to a couple of people that have continued full-time jobs uh, and have kids and have families and several people have expressed that they feel like they're missing out on some of the quarantine experience because the fact that they're just continuing on life as normal just inside their house. Mm -hmm. uh, do you feel like you've, that you've missed out on the... the the fun parts of quarantine or are you do you feel like you've done quarantine the only way you could do quarantine is it's got to be over now i am not having the experience that other people are having like that's for sure you know i'm working really long days i you know people talk about the great pause i've had no pause um i've been really busy with work um so i like i don't like this kind of like contemplative let's figure out what we're doing i haven't had that and i know that it's happening for people so at least when I go on this walk, I think I'm trying to use that time to really like think about the aspects of our lives that we really like and appreciate and the things that I miss and, you know, the things that we've just kind of fallen into over the years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I really, I really like having all this time with my daughter because I have, you know, I've worked full time since she was born and, you know, I, I work for myself. So I have some flexibility about how much I'm around her, but really like these past few months, like this is the most time we've all ever been at home, obviously. But mm -hmm. even in early days, it wasn't like she and I stayed home. So it's it's really challenging and demanding in certain ways. But I've also really enjoyed that part of it. Mm -hmm. But I also can't imagine like my own personality. I can't imagine slowing down entirely. Like I feel like I'd get really squirrely. All right, Aaron. Knowing what you know now about sheltering at home, if you could choose anyone alive or dead, past or future, or imaginary to spend quarantine with, who would it be? I want to go ahead and preface this with, we might have already gotten the best possible answer in our last episode, so mm. it is up to you to try and come up with a better answer. I'm not going to tell you what it is because it, it'll just ruin your answer, but <laughs> what it, who would you stay with? I think Joe Strummer of The Clash. I don't think he'd necessarily be like, helpful or good at some of the things that would make like the house <laughs> run more smoothly. But I feel like the political, I mean, like it's such a big influence on me when I was a teenager, right? So like, I feel like the conversations that would be had about the political state of the world and what's happening would be really interesting and fun. And then also, obviously, the music that would just be made at my house would be really cool. So I'm gonna go with that. All right, what about you, Amber? I'd have to see Oprah. I love Oprah. I mean, following her life right now during um, quarantine just looks like it's not too shabby. So I wouldn't mind moving into Oprah's house. 
So you would want to quarantine with Oprah, with Oprah entirely, not in your place. You want to go to Oprah Land and live with Oprah for yeah. I think I'd days. want to go to Montecito. Yep. <laughs> All right, Amber. What is something you wish you had or has been really hard to find throughout this? I guess Clorox wipes. Let me ask you a question about that. Do you feel there is a difference between Clorox wipes and just Clorox and a paper towel? I don't, but we haven't even... I finally found bleach, but we couldn't even find that. But um, for me, I, I would prefer Clorox wipes because I don't like the strong smell of bleach. All right, what about you, Aaron? What is something that you have had or has been... What is something that you wish you had or has been really hard to find? Flowers. Because I do flower arranging and the LA flower market has been closed during quarantine. Um, and most places that still get flowers, like, you know, Mehmet has brought stuff back a couple times. And it's slim pickings, so I'm not really doing it um, very much, which is too bad. It's like a huge stress relief thing for me. I just really enjoy it. So I haven't been able to do that. Is there anything that you thought you would need that you don't need or you don't need nearly as much as you expected? Actually, hand sanitizer. Mehmet bought a bunch, like not like a ridiculous amount, but let's say like 12 pumps of it or something to have like in the cars. And in the, and then this is even like, before they said we're going to lock down, it was just like there is a virus like that's happening and maybe it's coming here. So we just had it like around in all the cars and like stuff like that. And I think partly because I'm not going places very much. I'm not we're not needing we're not going through that as fast as I thought we would. Same. I mean, I've always had like a stock of that and small Lysols and things like that for when I travel. But yeah, I haven't needed any of it because I've been home so I can just wash my hands. So Amber, let me ask you this. Was there a point during this that you looked down at yourself and thought, so it's come to this? Yeah, probably. I was probably like dressed in tie-dye and that was probably like last week where I'm like, okay, so I am like becoming my mom like in the 60s probably. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Erin? Have you gotten that point where you look down and you say, well, this is what I am now. No, um, because, I, you know, like, again, like with the work thing, I'm on like during the week, I'm on probably like three or four hours of phone calls a day. Um, so I kind of like get up and do my walk, take a shower and then get dressed. I will say that I ordered I didn't order sweatpants like I can't I can't do that. Like that's not my that's not my jam. But I ordered some like nice looking blue and gray uh, you know, like, uh, linen pants or something. So I've got like some stuff at home that's like more comfortable now, but I'm still kind of, I'm still getting dressed every day. We'll say that like that hasn't changed for me. So since your low point wasn't really that low, I'm kind of worried about what your answer to this is going to be. Aaron, what do you think you've done best at during this whole thing? Uh, what have I done that? Um, Senna, my daughter and I have started making like a lot of routines that we did not have before. Like every day we, you know, like I have, as I said, like I, I start my actually like conference calls usually around like seven or seven thirty in the morning. So I'll work for a couple hours and then we'll take a break and she and I will like sit on the couch and read high, like a few highlights magazines even if we've read them before, you know, like whatever, but beginning to end. And that's kind of become this really nice routine. And like she, she and I had a lot of stuff that we like do together, but it wasn't a tradition. And even though this is kind of like a day, that's what it feels like. And, you know, she'll come say to me if, she, if I'm on a call or something and she'll be like, 
you know, mama, when you're off your call, can we read a highlights magazine together? And like, so that I feel like making time to create special stuff for just us, even if it's really simple, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like we have to plan a big day. It's really, we can, we can have those types of things at home. Um, Mm -hmm. And I never really like thought that way, I guess, before, like I'd more be like an activity is us leaving and going to do something. And I think I'm, I'm thinking about that stuff a little bit differently now. That's really sweet. Okay. Amber, what about you? What have you done best during this? Well, I've always been remote and worked from home. So I've been remote for probably 10 years at this point, Um, not 10 years with this company. Um, But so, you know, in comparison to a lot of people, like my everyday hasn't really changed, right? Because I've always worked from home and been here. Um, So what's changed for me is obviously not being able to go places. Um, So I think for me, I've learned to actually almost slow down. I'm not very good at slowing down. I don't like to sit around and do nothing. I'm not someone who can sit down and like read a book or like meditate. I'm working on meditation, but it's very difficult. You know, I like to be busy all the time, but this has kind of forced me and helped me to like slow down and like do gardening and like do tie dye or like be creative because I am a creative person, but I don't always allow myself time to do those things. So I think that's what's came out of this. So since you are slowing down, uh, have you gotten into any new shows or movies we should check out? Oh, I'm trying to think. Still watching Curbed. Still trying to finish Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. So that's kind of been the main thing. Um, It's still going through, went back all the way to season one. So I think we have like one season left. But yeah, haven't added anything new to the rotation yet. What about you, Erin? I uh, happened upon um, a little Netflix like limited series called Unorthodox. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like four episodes. It's a, it's basically a woman who leaves a Hasidic community in, in Williamsburg in New York. Um, I just thought it was really well done. Yeah. So I watched that. I also watched, was it little fires everywhere? Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm from Akron, Ohio originally, and it takes place in Shaker Heights in Cleveland in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, that's my experience. <laughs> like that's when I was <laughs> a teenager there is in the nineties. It's really good. It's, I thought it was like really captivating. And again, given a lot of the like political stuff that's going on in the country, there's, mm-hmm. there are definitely themes in that show that feel really relevant today. And then obviously with Sen, I'm always watching Ask the Story Bots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about your particular situations being immunosuppressed and immune compromised during this. Uh, you're each at higher risk of experiencing serious complications if you were to catch COVID. So uh, I guess my first question is this. Elsa, the lead character from Frozen, had to stay away from the world as well. First, she was locked in her room by her parents, so she was forced to. And secondly, she decided to run off and build herself her own wonderful ice castle. So which version of Elsa best describes you in this situation? Early Elsa, locked away in a room, or later Elsa, who's built her own ice palace? I guess later Elsa, who's built her own ice castle. All right. I, that's a re- that's a like surprisingly hard question. Um, I, I guess I feel like maybe I'm locked in my room, but that it feel that feels like more negative than I guess I mean it to be. I mean, you know, I, I, and I, I'm still locked into a lot of my regular routine in terms of work requirements. Like, so I feel like there's not a lot of time for me to escape and rebuild something new. 
So, yeah, I, I guess I'll say it locked in my room, but I don't mean it in as negative a way as it may sound. That's fine. If I had to choose, I would say Elsa locked in a room and I would mean it as negative as it sounds. So <laughs> we literally are every spectrum of the, of the gradient here. So the world is becoming like more and more open every day. Every state has some version of open. Specifically, you guys, uh, are you opening up? on pace with everything else or are you setting your own pace going through this uh totally setting our own pace I, I think i've done this and it sounds like maybe amber hasn't last week for the first time i went into a grocery store partly because i felt like i was gonna i just like had to like i just really wanted to one i wanted to see what's going on because i feel like for me you know again you talked early on you asked me about like what it was like in turkey in turkey we knew what was going on like every day you're like in contact with people you're out on the streets, like you see what's happening. And one of the things that I've found hardest about this situation is how, how little any of us know what's happening or can talk to mm -hmm. other reliable people. We're so at the behest of what we're told. And I find that makes me really uncomfortable. So, mm -hmm. you know, for this whole time, I haven't, you know, I've been out on my early walks or whatever, and otherwise I don't see what's happening. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I finally got to this point where I'm like, I need to go see what a store is like now. I want to know mm -hmm. what a store is like now. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the Ralph's up here. You know, I had my mask. I had sanitizer in my hand. Um, I took one of their carts, but I also had Clorox wipes with me. So not only was I wiping the cart, but anytime I would touch anything, I was wiping everything I was touching. <laughs> so I just like was going through a bunch of them while I was there. Um, so that's like been the extent of my going out. I also did my own curbside pickup at a Starbucks for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, but if I see other people who are not, you know, taking precautions, like either I'll leave or I'll stay as far away from them, you know, as possible, it really does make me mad. Um, but then uh, like a lot of the other things like school opening, like we got an email from the preschool saying that they were going to open up in July. We're not planning on sending Senna back to preschool probably until like September or October. Um, just to like give it time for like whatever is going to happen um, so that we have a better sense of what all this looks like. Um, I, you know, we're, we do some social distance hangouts with people. Um, you know, like we have a big enough back patio where we have that like, you know, chalked dead zone where nobody can go in. You've got to stay on your side. And we only invite other people that we know have also taken precaution. Um, and like this, I say this, it's, this is like we've done this like twice. Um, I imagine that we're going to continue on that path for a while. And, you know, as, as we're comfortable or as we see stuff happening, we'll kind of make decisions on an ongoing basis. But Certainly not based on, you know, like what the city decides or what other people are, are doing, because um, our situation is just not the same. As you make these decisions, where, what data or what news reports are you using to guide you? What's, what is helping inform your decision making at this point? I mean, I think we look at a lot of different places. Um, some of these like independent researchers, like Emily Oster has written a good piece about it, about like more about like decision-making framework um, that I think is really helpful. It's about, you know, like a risk reward kind of scenario and like how do you weigh the various things that you're going to do. Um, the Atlantic just had a pretty good piece about, you know, how you can safely do or what's the risk of certain summer activities and which are safer or not. 
Um, I'm going to, I'm forgetting the name of the author, but Mehmet had also found um, an article by, uh, I, I don't remember if he was an epidemiologist or something else, but he was a scientist um, at, you know, like a major university. And he was basically studying it, how the virus spreads within certain environments. It sounds like you're listening to more comprehensive studies as opposed to day-by-day updates. Would you say yeah. that that's true and that you're more interested in long-term net data than anything that's coming out on a weekly or bi-daily basis or anything like that? Yes, that's definitely that's definitely true. And it's, and it's mostly because I'm just... I, I, I don't want this to come across like I don't trust the media because that's not the thing. Um, but I feel like the vantage point that they're trying to communicate is really like this daily update, like reacting to whatever's happening right then. Um, and I tend to trust uh, more longitudinal studies and people who've been thinking about this stuff for a long time. Um, and they're not only reacting to this situation, they're taking like all of their knowledge over all of this time mm-hmm. and saying, this is what we think. And you can kind of digest it without having to cut through, you know, a lot of the opinion. I mean, one thing I would say I'm, I'm generally disappointed with in journalism today is the amount of personal opinion that is in virtually all reporting. I mean, I went to journalism school like 20 years ago and you <laughs> wouldn't have gotten through a class putting that much of yourself in any story. Like, that's just not how you were supposed to do it. And so I, I find that generally somewhat insufferable. Um, mm-hmm. So especially in this, when the stakes feel so high, I want to hear from people who are really cool headed, who've been thinking about it for a really long time. And it may not be sexy enough for news, but it's a pretty good uh, thing to hang your hat on in terms of decision making. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really reasonable. Uh, what about you, Amber? Are you moving along with opening up based on how things are opening up around you, or are you setting your own pace? You know me, definitely setting my own pace. So I'm just not there yet, but I'm definitely getting there because I know that I can't stay in my home forever. And, you know, I have my LA Times app, I have my New York Times app, and that's pretty much where I'll go to get news here and there. But I'm not going on there every day because I know there aren't really any updates, right? Not much has changed. When it comes to anything like pertinent to me and like my health of like what I need to be concerned about um, with COVID and everything, I really relied upon conversations that I've had with my own doctor, along with like the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. They're constantly having like Facebook updates with like um, well-known professionals, um, doctors, um, and just a whole community to kind of talk about like how this affects people who are immunosuppressed and immunocompromised and also specific to my own disease, any precautions we need to take or like how to kind of evolve with all of this. So I've kind of relied upon that to kind of help justify like how I'm approaching things with this. You know, I think we talked about it before, Bob, when we first talked, I was already taking all of those precautions that everyone's doing now. I've been doing that for years. So it's like wrapping my head around like, well, now everybody's doing that. So do I need to do more kind of thing, which no, I don't. Um, So I feel safe within that knowing that I was always Mm -hmm. living that way. So like, there's really no change to the way I'm living. It's more so like, well, now Mm -hmm. everybody else is doing that. So you know, that should make things safer. But yeah, I'm kind of going at my own pace. And from a professional standpoint, you know, I sell to retailers. So Nordstrom's like my biggest account. So 
not going to malls and that kind of thing is something that I actually really want to do because that plays into my profession and, you know, like part of what I do and need to do. So I think if anything, that might be my next step is like going to, you know, a Nordstrom or a mall to kind of see how things are um, to be able to speak to that Mm -hmm. with work. Do you think since you've been at home for so long that it's going to be harder to leave just because you haven't left. Do you know what I mean? Do you think you maybe yes. built up something in your head? You got, you do? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's where now I'm at that point where I'm like, okay, like we have to get beyond this, right? Like we can't stay locked up here forever. At some point I'm going to put myself in like quote unquote risk. I know I can do that. It's just kind of a point of when, and, but knowing that I'm going to need to have to push myself to do that for sure. It sounds to me that Aaron has kind of taken the stepping into the shallow end, moving towards the deep end uh, with her acclamation. But Amber, you're talking about, I feel like, jumping in the deep end (laughs) and holding your nose, going straight into a mall. Um, So let me ask you this. Uh, Amber, what do you think is going to be, like, the last place you'll feel comfortable going? Or what would be the description of that type of place? Gosh, well, I don't know, because, like... I've needed to go and get like my routine blood work done and I've like been putting that off. So like on one end of the spectrum, I feel like that's risky, but it's probably not the riskiest. I don't know. For some reason in my head, I feel like it's the riskiest thing that I could be doing. Um, But knowing that they're probably taking more precautions than anybody else. And then in the other end, it's probably like, I don't know, maybe travel once I travel again, like airports, maybe that's the riskiest. I don't know. But then there's not really that many people traveling right now. So I I just I don't know. Uh, I just want to go and prep you for the travel. If you go back, I know there's a lot of ports that people aren't traveling and that sort of thing. The airports, by and large, don't feel empty anymore and haven't felt empty any four weeks now. So know that as you make your decisions that it will not be a barren wasteland that was at first described about how airports were wow yeah uh aaron what about you what is like the place you're least likely to go as you ease back into all this let me just go ahead and also say aaron i'm definitely more like you i was like i'll walk for a little bit i'll go to a store uh, I wasn't like, I will surround myself with Chuck E. Cheese people right this second. So <laughs> uh, Amber's just got, got said, I don't have, I guess. You know what? It's sad because it's like the places I want to go to the most. I mean, like I want to travel too. Like we, you know, I, like everybody, we've had to cancel like three trips already this year of stuff that we'd planned to do. So I'm, you know, like anxious to be able to do that again, but really not. I mean, like when you look at some of the studies that I have about like how it spread and everything else, like the airplane is like the worst place, especially if you're going to be on it for more than an hour. Um, so there's that side of it. I also really miss my Pilates studio. Um, I've been doing it like the Zoom mat class at home, but I mean, like I used, I'm used to doing it on the machines. I haven't been able to do that in a couple months. But that also seems like, oh, people are sweating on these <laughs> machines and touching them like you put your face on it, you know, so that seems bad. Um, and actually, I know my studio, right, just this, like a couple of days ago, sent out a survey of like what would make you comfortable. Um, and there's a lot of like your own equipment that you can kind of take, like they have these blanket things you can take, you can get your own straps. I definitely want all of that. Um uh-huh. And I want limited capacity classes and I want people to wear masks. You know, like, I don't know if they're going to do all that. So it kind of depends on um, what their policies are going to be about how quickly I'll go back there. 
And then the last one, which is like so tragic for like one of the, I haven't, I've lived in big cities ever since I was old enough to make um, a decision about where I live. And a big part of that is the food culture um, mm -hmm. because I really love restaurants. I love small, you know, independently owned, like small place, bougie, um, you know, like <laughs> restaurants where you're in close proximity and someone like describes the wine to you as feral, you know, like I miss uh -huh. those places. <laughs> and yet, like when you look, when you hear people talking about like how this is spread, the idea of putting stuff in my mouth at a place with other people just seems like some of the riskiest <laughs> behavior <laughs> especially when you phrase it like that put stuff into my mouth around other people sounds like a horrible idea right like so that's the thing um but at the same time it's like it's one of the things that i most enjoy in life i love going to these restaurants and when i've heard people talk about like oh this is the end of the new york neighborhood like tiny hole in the wall i'm like no as soon as it seems like this has settled some or there's like a treatment like not even if i'm not even going vaccine there's a treatment uh i'm going back to these restaurants <laughs> like that's that's definitely one of the the things that i miss most and is like i i just i don't know like i can't imagine i don't want to leave big city living but mm -hmm. i also can't imagine big city living without that feature uh, so going back to dealing with being immuno uh complicated throughout this uh, we'll start with you, Amber. Um, have you had trouble explaining your particular problems or your issues to friends or family or even employers? Like, has anyone expressed that they think you might be overreacting at this point? Um, no one has expressed that. I think my husband and my family definitely understand and know, um, you know, kind of what's going on and, and how this pertains to to me, obviously. Um, from like an employer standpoint or friends who don't, I mean they haven't asked or it hasn't seemed like they don't understand. So yeah, I, I haven't tried to, I guess, explain it. I would, I would agree. Like, I think my husband and my family like definitely know and get it. I, the other thing though, that's really interesting that you bring this up is that I kind of resent the idea that I have to explain it to anybody. This might not have been the right podcast to get on. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I don't, I don't mean in this forum, but I mean like, oh, I'm just kidding. there's this, like, why do I have to out myself to colleagues or other people about an, a chronic illness that I have in order for them to take it seriously, right? Like I've heard a lot of people say, you know, oh, wearing a mask is a political act. And I think, well, what a luxury that that would be a political act for you totally. because it's not a health requirement. Or that somebody would like act a certain way to me because they think I'm like doing, I'm saying something or I'm doing, and even I don't really care, but you know, it, it is, I, I was at a conference a few years ago, totally unrelated. It was for design. And there was a woman there who um, specializes in a lot of universal design. And she'd said, she had this comment on our culture that I think is just like really coming to the fore now, which is that we have this binary view of what it means to be disabled. Right. I don't consider myself to be disabled. I don't know what that means, but you know, whatever. You're differently abled. And she's like, you know, we have this binary view. You're either completely able bodied or you're not. And she's like, it's really a spectrum because all of us will have these events, even if it's just old age, where what it means to us to be fully able bodied or in our healthiest self is going to change. So 
I mean, like in the last few weeks too, as people have really gotten fatigued in quarantine and they're like, oh, we have to open back up, just have all the immunocompromised and the elderly stay home. It's really, you know, you're just like, what? Like I'm, I just have to stay home now because you're not willing to wear a mask. Like you're not willing to take any precautions for other people around you and their health situation. So I have to mm-hmm. stay home. I have to be less competitive in the workplace and marketplace or, you know, out myself and my like share the details of my health condition with other people to be taken seriously. Like that, I, that really like, I don't know, really bothers me um, because it's like, are you going to pay me to stay home? <laughs> like what's my compensation? <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's been a big challenge with some of people in my family and people I know. Do you think that this needs to be a situation where everyone's put on hold until it's safe for everyone to go back or? No, I think if, I think it, I think if people would be responsible and cautious, like if, if there, if you didn't have these people, because in our neighborhood in particular, like there's definitely some communities that are not uh wearing masks they're not hand sand i mean like you just know they're just doing nothing they're not socially distanced they're walking in large groups of people they're sitting outside um if other people would take it more seriously or be like i respect all the members of my community so i'm going to be cautious then i Mm because i want to get back to life but i can't Mm -hmm. if other people are going to brazenly be like well i'm healthy and strong so i don't really you know care about anybody else like that makes it that makes it harder for me and people like to get back to normal. So let me ask this. I'm in Florida right now. Uh, seeing masks on people is about as common as seeing like a dolphin in the ocean. Like you go to the ocean, you <laughs> might see one or two, but you can't really bet on it. Um, most people are very actively anti-mask mm-hmm. uh, that I've run into. Um, I guess... Are you scared? Are you scared about the way things are? Do you think they're going to kind of even out? I mean, I was going to add on to what Erin said. I think, you know, when you were asking her about like everything, should everything continually be on hold? Right. And I like feel 100% the way that she expressed that, you know, it's, I think it's different, obviously, regionally, right? So, like, Aaron and I are in a big city. You know, I'm obviously outside the suburbs, but I'm L.A. County, and I, you know, we're still abiding by the same rules within Los Angeles County. Um, and things are slowly mm-hmm. opening up here at the same rate because it's all the same county. Um, you know, and you have the people who just want things to open up so that they can get back to, you know, their business running the way it did, even though let's be honest, it's not going to run the way it did before because things are not the same. Um, and people want to get back out to restaurants and get back out to stores and get their hair done and get their tattoos and whatever else. We all want the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's frustrating when it feels like there's a disregard for other people and like almost a selfishness. I don't know any other way to kind of phrase it. And I think it's different when you look at other areas, like you talk about Florida, like people aren't really wearing masks there. And that's happening in all places throughout the country, right? And even here in California, even people here in Mm -hmm. LA County, I see people walking in my neighborhood with no masks on. And that's frustrating. And I think it's just, you know, if everybody's doing that then they it's almost like a fake safe like people feel like well 
we don't need to be scared here. So we're all not going to wear masks. And it's almost like a fake, a fake like comfort. But I don't think I don't think that's the answer because you're not having like empathy for other people. All you care about is yourself, really and truly, because if there was a direct threat to you, those people, I feel like they would be they would do everything in their power to make sure that they were safe. And I think that's where it's like what's happening with thinking Mm -hmm. about the other person that might not be safe if you Mm -hmm. don't wear a mask or take the precautions to, to be careful for them. So instead we have to change everything in our lifestyle um, right now because we don't have any other choice. Is the root of this just the mask or does it go beyond that? Do you, if you saw people wearing, if you saw everyone wearing masks, would you feel more confident in the recovery or is it, is it, is it, does it run deeper than that? I would feel somewhat more confident in the recovery just because so many studies are saying that if everyone was wearing a mask, then there would be a slower spread, right? Because you wouldn't have that. Um, there would be no way to have like the, the, the spread through, you know, saliva or whatever within air particles. If more people were, were wearing a mask, obviously there's a possibility that you can still have some because of how fine the particles are. Um, I'm, I'm no scientist or doctor here, but I think I would feel more confident that things would probably slow down where it feels like in a lot of places, um, you know, people are just saying, well, if it's my time, it's my time. And, you know, I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to let my life stop. I have to keep going. And it's like, yeah, we all feel that way. We all want to live our life. Right. But some of us are at a significantly higher risk. So we can't, we can't Mm -hmm. live our life that way. And good for you. But the longer that you're going out living your life and doing those things, it's longer that we can't go and live our life. Because we don't want to get sick. Yeah. Is that how you feel as well, Erin? A hundred percent. I mean, and I, I think to me, it's, it's, it's the actual uh, spread, you know, like the physical barrier. But I think it's also a mentality. Like if I really felt like other people are in this together and maybe they don't need it, but they do kind of care, um, I, you know, like it, it makes you feel more like we are all trying to solve this. And then my trust in them that they're hand sanitizing and that they're not coughing on stuff and running in, you know, not hanging out with 10 people at a time would be higher because it's the mask to me is like this visual marker that you're taking this seriously. And that's the thing that's most scary to me is the idea that people are not taking it seriously. Do you, either of you, in any way think that that is a plausible future for L.A. County? People wearing masks, people taking precautions. No. I I mean, I think that what we've seen, I think maybe in the beginning, I think people were so scared and not sure what was going to happen that they they were more likely to take precautions. I think the fact that the whole thing is so invisible in so many different ways, you know, that we're at home, we're not seeing it. It is, in fact, itself an illness. We're not seeing inside hospitals to see what it's like. I mean, we have very little coverage of like what COVID actually looks like in people, Um, you know, that people have gotten really complacent. They're very fatigued at being at home, as we all are. Everybody's really worried about the future. And so, you know, some some of their feelings of like, we're in this together, we're going to do it. 
I feel like have been eroded by those things. And if it's eroded in two months, it's not going to be here in six unless something really drastic happens. Amber, what about you? Do you think there's any chance for the people of LA County, much less the people of the US, to actually start taking the precautions that are suggested that in many places are the law? Yeah, I, I think I agree with Aaron that, you know, it's like the longer this is going on, the less and less I think people are going to continue with like precautions or doing things just because it's like, I think they're fatigued and they're just wanting to like get back to quote unquote normal. And I think that, you know, when you look at like our country as a whole, like we don't have a leader who's standing up and saying like, everyone needs to do X, Y, and Z. Like, there's no real true direction. Like we have had some obviously with like Mayor Garcetti and our governor here in California, like giving direction of like how we need to carry ourselves here. But I think probably the longer and longer it goes by and the longer and longer that, you know, people start feeling like they're immune to it or nothing's happened at this point. So I think I'm good now. Like, I think you're going to see more of that of people just kind of starting to do what they want to do because it's already happening. Yeah. Amber brings up a really good piece of it too, which I think is that with a lack of kind of top down mandates and leadership, you know, the onus of doing this stuff has shifted into personal responsibility, not just of like you as an individual are going to leave your house, whether or not you're wearing a mask, but if you're going to open up your business and you know, what you're, how much you're going to enforce it when it's in your business. So there's the enforcement part, which is, I'm sure, really difficult for a lot of individual people and an unfair burden in a lot of ways. But also it becomes this like competitive edge or not. You know, I mean, like people, people have to go back to work because they're not, you know, getting uh, the kind of federal support that just says, no, 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 stay at home. Don't worry. Your life's not going to blow up if you don't go back to work. And if people don't feel like they can come there, you know, unfettered by masks or regulations. So it's really like people are, are having to make these decisions also about, you know, am I going to am I going to be able to continue having my business that my family relies on or that all my employees rely on? And, you know, am I going to piss off some portion of my customer base by requiring masks? And so they so they don't. I mean, I heard a story about a guy who's like, yeah, we have a sign up because they're supposed to wear masks indoors, but the sign says, if you're not wearing a mask, I'll assume that you have um, some sort of illness that prevents you from doing so, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's mm -hmm. just like, the fact that there's a lack of leadership around it really puts that burden on individuals to interpret it. And I think that makes it harder for people to also try to enforce it, even if they wanted to. You know, when this started, I asked how you guys felt about things. And that was one of the things I was referencing was the Sonoma County Sheriff saying that he was no longer going to enforce this because he decided that the directives were not enforceable or not something that they had the right to assert, which is not how the police system works. And there's a lot going on right now. But that to me, that someone can be so brazen was very scary, uh, especially yeah. something in California uh, is indicative of a much larger problem. I'm not immune complicated, uh, immunosuppressed or anything like that. So I'm less likely to get seriously sick, but it still worries me that we, the culture change that's happened with, since all this began as how people regard the status of power, who is in power and what 
the people in power can and can't do. Uh, to me, it's really troubling. Yeah. <laughs> there. So, Aaron, you said earlier that you were looking at August, September for Senna to go back to school. Uh, Amber, do you have any kind of timetable for when you might feel comfortable going into a mall? Is that something that's going to be a lot sooner or what are you thinking? No, I mean, that's definitely something that obviously I look forward to doing um, from a personal standpoint and professionally because it plays into all of that. But I honestly don't think I'm going to be going to a mall until like this fall at this point. Based off of how quickly I have done everything else, I'm going to probably put that as like, uh, lower on the totem pole I'm kind of the same way as Aaron you know going to restaurants is like our probably biggest hobby and something that my husband and I would always you know frequent on ex- if not weekdays weekends for sure um, we always look forward to going to new restaurants and stuff so I think that might be probably one of the first things maybe we would do outside of me probably going to like a nursery um, to get some other things for the garden. That's probably going to be the first place I'll go. And knowing that that's like mostly outdoors, I'll probably kind of ease my way in that way. And then, yeah, Mm -hmm. maybe getting some takeout for once would be awesome. And then, you know, (laughs) kind of ease my way into probably the restaurant life and kind of seeing how that's evolved. Cause that's going to be kind of sad, I think. And Aaron, is that a reasonable timetable for you? Like you said, with Senna, August, September, is that kind of what you're looking at right now? I mean, that's the, that's the thinking, I think more in the September realm and I like where we're kind of basing that timetable is that if they open July 6th, mm-hmm. honestly, it gives a couple months for people to get sick. Right. <laughs> you know, like we look at how, like, if it's going to run through that, I mean, like, that's, I don't know if it's bad to say, but it's like, people will be going back. And, you know, we know, I, I don't know who else has toddlers, but you know, you pick up whatever goes in the school and stuff mm-hmm. runs through the school. Every, people get sick with it and then they're past it and then they're whatever. And that gives us like some time to see one, like what are the policies that they're actually enacting? Is it working? You know, both in terms of like, can they actually spread kids out? Like are the kids willing to do that? What are all the things, you know, that they're doing as opposed to like being part of that trial period where they are testing out new ways of running a preschool um, and then giving it, giving it a chance for a bunch of people to be together while assuming they're out and doing other stuff and and seeing if people get sick like it gives us some time to really see what happens and then i think we'll assess again but if like that goes okay um because you know our our kid hasn't like played with like in a normal sense Mm -hmm. played with another kid in 76 days you know and like i don't know how long that can go on (laughs) like we're probably pod with another family soon um so that like we don't undo all these great social skills that she's built over the last like almost four years. So last question, when you guys return to normal, will you be investing in a designer face mask or will you just be going with a medical face mask? Amber, we'll start with you. <laughs> uh, no, it's definitely going to be up in my face mask game. We're actually waiting for our fancy face mask to come, but I don't think that's going to be until like... Uh, August or September. So kind of, I think I'm basing that once that arrives, probably with me, like going back into like, you know, frequent, you know, um, public places, because I'll feel a little bit safer having like a mask that's not like a bandana. And you'll look really cool. And I will look really cool. Yeah. 
What about you, Erin? Are you going to go designer mask or are you going to stay medical mask? I have my cool mask. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I already I already got mine. Um, There's a there's a shop in L.A. It's actually really cool. It's called Sway. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. It's S-U-A-Y. I've been kind of, you know, like the last couple of years, I really tried to go more zero waste where we can. Um, and it's a, it's like a sewing collaborative here that uses all, it's like over in Frogtown, I think, that does all dead stock stuff. They're really for garment workers' rights. Right now they're running a food bank for garment workers and stuff like that. They actually made, I think, I want to say 500,000 masks that they gave out to essential employees um, at the beginning of all of this. So we bought our masks from them. And they're super cool looking. And they're really, I mean, like it actually how well they fit the bridge of your nose and your face makes it a lot easier to wear outside because you don't want to, you don't need to adjust it. It's just like sitting there very comfortably. Um, so you're not, you're really not touching your face as much. So that is like my staple. It's really weird to go out wearing it every day. Like I feel strange, like interacting with people, not seeing their faces, but that's my look now. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you guys are going to look super cool when you start going back into society more. Uh, thank you both so much for being on the show today. It was great talking to you about this particular situation in this particular time. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Bob. Cornstream was produced this week by me, Bobby Christian. Special thanks to Amber in Los Angeles, who is over 80 days in quarantine, and Aaron, who is also in Los Angeles, who is over 70 days, late 70s days in quarantine. If you'd like to share your life or list from quarantine, reach out to me on Instagram at Civil Matador. And remember, this will end, so enjoy it while you can.